I want to dive right into the word this morning. Forgive my voice uh, if, it, if it leaves me midstream. Eric Davis, maybe you can come up here and just take right over. My notes are here. Maybe you can follow along as best you can. Psalms chapter number 37, David writing here. Uh, the psalmist David is writing uh, this beautiful message about the promises of the Lord, uh, the inheritance of God to his children, to his people, uh, and, and ultimately the calamity of the wicked. Now, you know, we have, we've spent some time over the last few weeks talking about our right place in the Lord and where we, where we position ourselves with the whole armor of God. And, but, then, but then we follow that up with talking about God's role in that, which is the most important role when we looked at the battle with King Jehoshaphat and the armies that were coming against him and how that they were able to, once they positioned themselves with the armor of God and understood their rightful place and, and took their rightful position in place, and then they were able to truly just sit back and enjoy the scenery. They were able to sit back and enjoy the theatrics as they played out as God did the work. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They was able to literally watch God do the miraculous, do the impossible. I'm believing that for some people in this house today. We've worked so hard, we've labored so hard to try to fix things on our own, in our own, by our own power and with our own merit. We've tried to, we've tried to somehow manipulate situations to make them work the way that we want to. And I believe that God is calling all of us. He's saying to all of us, look, you just take your rightful place. You know who you are. You need to understand and know whose you are. You need to know your rightful place and just stop and see the salvation of God. And I believe there are some situation and cir- situations and there are some circumstances in many of our lives, in our families' lives, maybe in your job situation, maybe in your finances, maybe in your health, whatever it may be, that you're going to be able to literally just watch God do it. I mean, we're almost there. i got a golf clap and like a couple little whisper amens. Do you believe what I just said? I mean, do you truly believe what I just said? I believe that God wants to do and will do and perform the impossible in our life. I still believe that we serve a miracle-working God. I don't believe that stopped with the apostles. I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe we're going to see the miraculous take place in your life. So David... In this 37th Psalm here, he is speaking of the inheritance of God's people. He's talking about the calamity of the wicked. He says, do not fret. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. One of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, we've addressed the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. When we speak of the evildoers, when we speak of, when we speak of those who, who, uh, who, who are doing these works of iniquity as, as David is writing about here, we're not speaking of these individuals. Please don't put a face, a natural human face or our person to these, to these images whenever you hear this. I want you to understand where the battlefield is at. The battlefield is in the spiritual place, is in the heavenly places. It's in the, it's in the spiritual realm. It's, it's this battle that's taking place. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If you're a conservative Republican today, guess what? Your enemy is not the liberal Democrats, okay? If you're on the Trump train, your enemy is not Bernie Sanders, okay? Do we we understand that? Do we understand that we're not to put a face, a natural human face on these things? The battle is in the spiritual realm. That's where the warfare is. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It seems, though, we as the church 
I talk to people all the time. I talk to good, God-fearing, God-loving Christian folks all the time. And it seems as though today, especially in the climate of our world and our nation, today it seems like we are so consumed with the prevailing evil of the world today. We're always talking about how horrible things are, how bad things are, how everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It seems like all of our conversations are filled with more complaining about everything that's wrong in the world and everything that's wrong in our government, everything that's wrong in Washington and everything that's wrong in the world and how that everything is just falling apart. It seems like that's the prevailing conversations these days, even among God's people. I'm not saying we go bury our head in the sand somewhere. I'm not saying we don't get real about the issues of the world and the things that are going on in our lives. We have to. We have to address things. We've got to be very real. We've got to have a, a sense of reality of what's going on in the world. Unfortunately, in many of my day-to-day conversations, though, it seems like that's all that it's filled with. I don't hear much talk about the faithfulness of God. I hear about what's wrong. I hear about how this needs to be fixed and that needs to be fixed. I don't hear much about, but our God is faithful. I'm trusting God through it all. It seems like it's usually a period or many times an exclamation point right after, uh, can you believe what all's happening in this world? It's getting worse and worse. Read the book of Revelations. This is how it's all going to, it's all fixing to fall apart. I don't seem to hear a whole lot about the rich inheritance of his children. We have an inheritance, folks. For those of us who have chosen to put our trust in God, there is a rich inheritance. We know that there is a great by and by. We know that there is a place of perfection that we will be one day. We know that there is a place called heaven where we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. But I want to tell you something. We can experience the inheritance and the goodness and the richness of who God is in this life, in this day, in this time. Jesus told us to pray this way. God, I ask that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth Even as it is in heaven. What that means is is his heavenly will can be played out and lived out in our lives, even right here on earth. The third verse of chapter 37, he simply says this, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. My question to all of us today is, Where is our trust? What are we putting our trust in? What are you putting the trust of your future in? Is it in your 401k? Guess what? That may, that may bottom out tomorrow. There's no guarantee of that. Is our trust in our health? Guess what? I don't mean to be the the bearer of bad news or a doom and gloom guy, but in an instant, Terrell, we can go to a doctor and have a scan and all of a sudden we don't have any stock in our future, in our health. I know that God wants to bless us and he wants to prosper us. But guess what? We can't put stock, we can't put trust in anything of this earth. Nothing of this earth. Our trust must be in him and him alone. Period. Trust in the Lord. Period. Trust in the Lord. Period. Many times I have to ask myself the question, in what am I placing my trust? In whom am I placing my trust? Have I put my trust completely and totally in the Lord? 
David's saying, first and foremost, don't worry about all the stuff that's going on around you. You have your place. You've got your say. You've got the things that you're supposed to do. And I've given you an assignment. And you're to be obedient to that assignment that I've given you. But if it's something that's out of your control, if it's something you can't fix, don't worry about these things. Don't be consumed with these things. Don't let these things overtake your heart and your mind. Don't let these things steal your rest and your peace. Fear not, he's saying over and over and over again. And then the next thing he says is, trust. Trust me. What are you trusting in? Trust me. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He's saying, you're you're in this world and you've got to live in this world, but you are not of this world. Your provision doesn't come from the things of this world. Your peace doesn't come from the things of this world. The power that's going to be demonstrated in your life, it doesn't come from the things of this world. You dwell here. You you, you can't live in some night cloud somewhere. You can't go bury your head in the sand somewhere. You gotta live in this world. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta live this thing out right here where you're at in flesh and blood. But understand that when you're feeding, you're not feeding on the faithfulness of your hard work. You're not feeding on, on, on the provision of your employer. You are feeding on the faithfulness of God. He said, dwell in the land, but you feed On his faithfulness. Understand that every dollar that's in your checkbook today, it didn't come from your employer. They were just the conduit through which God is using right now. When I see people of God who start panicking because the pink slips are being handed out, I don't understand that because I say, do you mean your trust is in the one who's writing your paycheck right now? Absolutely not. He has never failed you. He has never forsaken you. Look in your rearview mirror. He has never left you. He's always been the provider, and he always will be the provider. Live in the land. Work your job. Do what you're called to do. Be faithful to what we're called to do. But feed on his faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's his provision. It's his protection in our lives. He said, dwell in the land. We can't do like many. We can't go and bury our heads in the sand. We we aren't called. We aren't called to go be doomsday preppers and go buy property up in the hills of Where's hills? I don't know. Kentucky, I guess. I don't know. Good snake handling place of the world. I don't know where you just go up in the, in the woods and find sh- churches that handle snakes and drink strychnine. I don't know. But somewhere up there where there's no, like you're totally off the grid. I don't know. But you, you go to the hills and you, you, you get completely off the grid. We're not called to do that. That is a fear-based life. And God said he's not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us power and love. And a sound mind. We are in this world. We're supposed to be in this world. But our thoughts, our mindset, our heart is not of this world. Provision doesn't come from the things of this world. Our peace doesn't come from the things of this world. Our power doesn't come from the things of this world. Verse 4, he says this. I love this verse. Talked about it many times here at this church. And I love it. It's one of the most misrepresented verses, it seems like, in Scripture. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now 
David kind of shifts gears for a moment in this text, in this, in this instruction, in this, uh, in this teaching, if you will, that he is giving. He shifts gears for a minute here, and he begins to address the issues of the heart. He begins to talk about the heart of the matter, and he says, you delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This verse has been preached from a lot. I've preached from it a lot. I've heard it taught on many times, and many times it has been so misrepresented. Many would read this verse really fast off the page and get a whole different, a whole different concept of what it is saying. And, and to something, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me everything I want. There's kind of messages out there that sort of present that kind of gospel that says, if you put God first, all the stuff you want, he's going to give it to you. You want a Jaguar, then put your, put your faith in the Lord. He's going to give you your favorite Jaguar. You know, if you want a mansion on a hill, that's what he's going to give you if you'll just put him first. That's not what it's saying at all. That's not at all what the text is saying. He's saying, if we will delight ourselves in the Lord, if we will place him first, I just felt so compelled earlier to pray. God, today, we're in, we, we are placing you back in your rightful position in our lives. You must be Lord of all, or you're not Lord at all in our lives. If you're not at the very top, if you're not the very first one that we look to and go to, then you really have no place in my life. If you're not first, you're not anything. So we place him back as king of kings in our lives. He says, place him first in every area of our life. If we'll trust him above all else, above all the things of this earth, he says, delight yourself in him and he will give us the desires of our heart. In other words, when we've placed him first, when we've put all of our trust in him first and foremost, when he is our everything above all the things of earth, above every relationship, then the desires that we have in our heart are now the desires that he put there. Not our desires that he's now accommodating. He places the desires. So now it's not our desires anymore at all, but it is his desires that he has placed in our hearts. Delight yourself in him. And he's going to give you the actual desire, not the things that are produced from our desires, but the actual desire itself. Now my desires are after the things of God and his kingdom. He will actually place the desires in our hearts when we put him first above all else. The, na- the desires that, then we na- that we have then are no longer our own desires, but they are his. Verse 5, it says, commit your way to the Lord. I love this. He says, surrender our ways to him. Whatever my plan was, whatever my perception of the situation is, perspective of of the situation, whatever that is, I'm surrendering my thoughts to him. My ideas, even my dreams, and there are God-given dreams and visions that he has put in every one of our lives. There are God-given desires, as we just read in the verse previous, uh, that God has placed there. But when we take everything in us and, and we commit it to him, we say, God, my ways are not my ways. My ideas are not my ideas. I believe that you're going to take the creative things that you've placed in my heart, the dreams that are there, and I believe that you will do whatever you want to do with that. I'm trusting you to do that, but I'm giving you all of my thoughts. I'm giving you all of my perspective. I'm giving you all of my ideas. I'm giving you all the stuff that I try to control and fix all the time. I'm committing all of that to you, 
And the Bible says that he'll bring it to pass. In other words, he'll bring his plan to pass. I believe that we serve a sovereign God. I believe that he will do things his way, and I'm glad about that. I'm thankful today. I I let people say all the time, God said it, I believe it, and it's so. The truth is, we can take one piece of that puzzle out of there. If God said it, it's so. It doesn't really matter whether I believe it or not. If God said it, it is so. I just need to get in alignment. I just need to commit my ways to his ways. We surrender our ways. We trust him with every part of our life and our future. God, I give it all to you. And he will bring his plan to pass. I'm going to tell you something. There is, there is a great measure of peace that comes in our lives when we just begin to walk in his plan for our lives. People say all the time, well, I don't want to be out of the will of God. I don't want to be out of the plan of God. I'm afraid I'm going to miss God. I got a decision here. I don't want to make the wrong decision. You know what? You know what I hear in every one of those statements? Worry. Fear. What if I miss it? What if I miss God? If our hearts are tuned toward him, if we're trusting him, if we're committing all of our ways to him, he is going to direct our paths. He is going to make the way clear. All we have to do is walk in it. I think the more we worry about it, the more we fear, the more stress we have over the situation, the more likely we are to miss the mark because we're trusting in our own understanding at that point. I just swapped over to a whole other psalm now. You'll have to go find it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will, he shall direct your paths. We commit our ways to his ways. God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm trusting you. Trusting you in every part of my life. Verse 6, it says, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Can I just say that you don't have to be your defender? I've been now pastoring here in Winsboro for 17 years. A little over 17 years now. I have, I've been in ministry, my goodness, my whole life. I was born in this thing. At a very young age, I surrendered. I said, God, this is what I want to do with my life if this is, if this is what you would will, and he did. And I'm so thankful for that. And, but I'm going to tell you something. When many times in the ministry and in your lives, wherever you are, you've had, thing, you've had attacks. We've had attacks in our lives. We've had people attack us. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Can I just tell you that when your heart is set where it's supposed to be, when you have committed your ways to the Lord, there is nothing of this earth that God will not defend in your life. Can I tell you, there have been things spoken about me that were false. I've had things spoken about me that were true, that weren't good, and they were true. But when we commit our ways to him, when we trust in him, when we've surrendered our will to his will, say, God, I'm following you, guess what? He becomes our defender. I'm involved in a little situation right now in my personal life that will probably bring on some attacks in my life. I said I wasn't going to say much about this little part of my life, but I'm just throwing that out there real quick. There will probably be some things said about me, possibly. I don't know. That's what happens when you get in that part of, that part of society and life. But I know this. I don't have to defend that because he is your defender. He is our defender. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. He will be our defender. I love this next verse, verse 7. Honestly, if we could just get this. 
If there's one thing our world needs today, if there's one thing that the people of God need today, we need this one word working in our lives. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest. Rest. We talk a lot about this around here, about the rest of God. Can I tell you, that's not sleep. Because we all sleep. Some of us have a little bit of insomnia, Glenn. At one time. I don't know if you still struggle with that. You used to at one time. We all have a little bit of insomnia where it was hard for us to sleep at night. But rest is not sleep. Rest is something you can be experiencing right now with your eyes wide open, with your, with your thought process steadily going, with everything working and happening cognitively. Uh, you can still have the rest of God because it's, that's the peace of God and the peace of God Philippians speaks of is how it's the Paul spoke in Philippians it is the peace that goes beyond all understanding it goes beyond the stuff that we're thinking about today it goes beyond the things of earth and these natural things that consume us so many times it's the rest it's the peace of God Jesus said it this way he said come unto me come unto me all ye who are who are heavy laden and you're burdened with the things of life and I will give you rest. And you know what he did? He didn't say you can go and bury your head in the sand. He didn't say you're going to just, just kind of get this escapism thing where you're just going to get out of the stuff of life. In fact, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, you're still going to have to kind of walk through this thing called life. But if you'll take my yoke upon you, I will give you rest. I'll give you peace in the middle of your storm. I love that. I love how that in the middle of the storm of life, Jesus is always still there and he's just beckoning us. He's calling us to a place of rest. He's saying the storm, and I love the story in the, in the gospels where Jesus and the disciples are on the boat and they're fighting this great storm and they're, it seems like their boat's about to capsize and they're just, they're fighting the waves and the thunder and the lightning and the winds and it's all coming against them. Meanwhile, and they're fighting and they're fighting and they're rowing and they're rowing. Meanwhile, Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. And I love how the scripture just throws in there on a pillow. Any of y'all got the my pillow? I got three or four of them at my house. I, I, I don't know how many of you love, I love pillows. Kayla and I, we, we have like 30 pillows in our bed. Like, I mean, I, we, we barely even see each other. There. There's... I then went from preaching and went to meddling now. Uh, You know, we'll be laying on two or three pillows. I got to have a pillow that I'm hugged up to. I got to have a pillow in my back. I got to have a pillow between my knees. Kayla's got the same. And we're just a big, a big mountain of pillows in our bed. I love pillows because pillows speaks of comfort, speaks of, of peace. You lay your head on my pillow. They're all manufactured and made right here in my home state of Minnesota. Anyway, that's <clears throat> neither, neither here nor there. Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat, in the middle of the storm. And I love what happens here. The disciples, they're like most of us. We shouldn't cast any stones. We're just like them. 
I mean, we operate just like them. And we have now have a story to go back on. They didn't. So that we're, they're even better than we are, for that matter, because we actually have documented fact of how Jesus works in our lives, and, and they didn't even know that at that time. And they run to him, and they wake him up, and they say, Master, alas, what, what are we supposed to do here? You're, you're going to sit here and let us perish like this. And he wakes up. You know the story. He rebukes the winds and the waves. He has the power to do that. The lake is placid. But then he turns to them, and he says, Why were you so afraid? Why did you let fear consume your life? Don't you understand that all you had to do was look to me? If you'll just look and see what I'm doing, then you'll know what you're supposed to do. You were up here fighting a big battle that you didn't need to be fighting. You were fighting a storm that you didn't have to fight. All you had to do was go get you a pillow and come, and when there's something you can't control, you couldn't fix this storm. So what you're supposed to do is come and get a pillow and rest in me in the middle of your storm. The storm will take care of itself. It'll do what it's supposed to do. By the way, storms are good things. Oh, they create havoc in our lives. There's devastation. We see it over in Ruston right now of what a storm can do, what it can leave in its path. I understand that. But storms are necessary. You can't have perfect weather days like today, 365 days a year. It would mess everything up. You need that cycle. It's got to work that way. Uh, Ricky Womack raises peach trees. He'll tell you real quick, you've got to have a cold winter for the peach tree to really work and produce and flourish the way that it's supposed to. You have to have it. Winter days are important. We don't like them. They're dark. They're gloomy. But what God is saying is when you find yourself in the winter days of life, when you find yourself in the stormy seas of life, that's the time that you look to him. That's the time that we trust in him. That's the time that we take our pillow and we go and we lay in the stern. We look to Jesus. We do what he says do and we rest and he will take care of the rest. I wonder what that story would have looked like had they done that. I'll tell you what would have happened. They would have taken their pillow. They would have gone and laid in the stern. The storm would have eventually ended. The storm would have done what it was supposed to have done. And when they got up, they would have seen that God was faithful and that they had his rest. Because, see, you can sleep all night long. There's times, many of you in this room can testify to this. I've done it many times. I sleep for seven or eight hours. And I wake up the next morning, and I'm more tired than I was the night before. Before I even lay down. Because my body was sleeping. My body was, was at rest. But the mind never stopped. There were dreams. There were imagination. There were things that were alive. I, I was at that different. Because, because I didn't have rest. I had sleep. But I didn't have rest. Verse 7 goes on to say. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. In his own way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. It seems like we always want to get even, right? We don't want to just get even, we want to get ahead. I pulled a practical joke on a friend of mine, Brian Wilson, the other day. I pulled a practical joke on him. And and, uh, as soon as we got back in the truck, he said to me, he says, I just want you to know, I don't get even. I get ahead. He says, in a moment when you least expect it, I will get you and I will get you way better than you got me. And I'm, I, I believe he'll do it. I've had enough people tell me how Brian is and he, he will definitely get me back. I'm just waiting for it. But I'm going to tell you something. We don't have to get even. We don't have to get ahead. Cease from anger. Anger 
unforgiveness, bitterness. These are the things that only hold us back. These are the things that only hurt and hinder us. They're not hurting the other person. They're not, they're not damaging them in any way. They're go, they've gone on with their life. And, we ha- and yet now we're left with the aftermath. Yes, you may have been the victim. Yes, we might have been uh, unjustly done somehow in our lives. But holding on to that stuff and holding on to the anger and holding on to the unforgiveness and not letting that go and not letting them go is only, is only damaging us. It's only hindering us from God's purposes and plans. And he goes on to declare more about the calamity of the wicked. And he goes on to speak more of the inheritance of the righteous. And I'll just close with this. In verse 23, he says this. I love it. Verse 23, he says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God delights in his way. Can I just remind everybody in this room today that our steps are ordered of the Lord. When we trust in him, when we've put all of our ways and committed all of our ways to him, if, if we're trusting him with every part of our life, we've enthroned him, we've made him, given him the rightful place. If we have delighted ourselves in God, can I just tell you, you can't make a wrong step. Oh, I've made some mistakes. I, I've gone down the wrong path before. I, I've made the wrong call before. But when I, I, I can't miss it. That's crazy. Whenever I put my trust in him, when I've committed all my ways to him, I can't make a wrong step. And even when I make what I think is the wrong step, he has a way of working all things together for good. And what seemed like my wrong step was actually the right step. So our steps are ordered of the Lord. Our steps are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. This does not mean that we will not fall from time to time. Doesn't mean that our lives will be perfect. Doesn't mean we're going to do everything by the book perfectly every time. In fact, in the very next verse, he will address just that. And he says this about this righteous man. He says this about this child of God. He speaks of this one whose steps are ordered of the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, though he fall. In other words, it's going to happen. <laughs> Bank on it. Count on it. Can I just ask this question and let's all be honest today? How many failures are in the room today? I'm not saying you are a failure if you've had a failure in your life. Raise your hand and raise it proud. Okay, good. That means I'm in good company today because I've had many failures in my life. But here's what I love about falling as a child of God is that when I fall, we fall forward. When we fall, he says, though he fall. In other words, you're going to fall. You're, you're going to wake up some mornings and you're not going to feel like you can peel yourself out of the bed because you have fallen. You've fallen emotionally. You have fallen mentally. You've fallen physically. You, you, you have fallen in your hopes and dreams. You have failed in some area of your life. You missed the mark. You felt like somehow in your mind, but when we as children of God, when we fall, we fall forward. Can I tell you, if I fall forward, I fall further than I can step. I'm six foot one. If I fall forward, I'm further advanced than if I took a whole step and maybe two. When we fall forward, he says, though he fall, listen to this, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The Lord upholds us. 
So there's a saying I heard a preacher say a while back. You've all heard people say, shame on you. Shame on you. You did this, shame on you. Can we just kind of adopt a new, a new phrase around here? I heard another preacher say it from another state, and so we'll just steal it from them. Can we just, can we just kind of adopt this new statement? Shame off you. Shame off you. If you're walking around with condemnation, if you're walking around with this load of guilt and shame because of your past or because of some mistake or failure, some mess up, some divorce, whatever the case was, and you're walking around feeling like you're some kind of second-class citizen in the kingdom of God somehow, shame off you. For he's not, he's not done that to us. In him all things are new. Old things are, are passed away. And behold, all things become new in him. Shame off you. Shame off you. The Lord upholds him with his right hand. And then I love the way that David just sort of wraps all this up, this whole message up and puts a bow on it. Verse 25, he says this. I love this verse, and I, I can't help, I don't want to embarrass her this morning, but I can't help but think about my mom every time I read this verse. It's amazing how things get planted in your heart at a very young age. And that you heard Daddy many times talk about the old testimony services, right, that we had. Well, when we were growing up in church, we had testimony service. If you were in church, Jeffrey, everybody testified, whether you wanted to or not. Everybody, sometimes it'd be like popcorn testimony, you know, and they, they'll get up and say something. You couldn't even understand what they said. They said it so fast, they right back at yeah. But I remember there was a particular testimony my mom would sing like she would give it over and over and over again. And I could hear it today as a little boy, hearing my mom stand either sitting at the organ, Mary, or, or sitting over here on the front row at, mess, at testimony time. And she would stand up and she would say these words. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. David's saying, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot. I've had failures in my life. I've missed the mark. I've rode high and I've been in the valleys low. I've been young and now I'm old. But through it all, I have never seen God's children forsaken. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. And I've never seen his descendants in lack. I've never seen his children begging for bread. For he is merciful and he lends. And his descendants are blessed. When, that, when I read verse 26, he says that, in verse 25, he says that the righteous are never forsaken. That they never go in lack, nor do their descendants. And that he is merciful. Talking about the righteous man. Not talking about the Lord here at this point in this text. He's talking about he now is merciful. And he is the one who lends. How many of you would like to be the one who is the lender? <laughs> Rather than the, the taker. He says, now because he gets this. He understands this. He, he, he's never forsaken. And his descendants, they're never begging for brethren. And he is the one who now is able to give. He's the one giving mercy. He's the one lending now. We are the lenders now. We're the one who brings peace. We're the one who brings, who brings provision. We're the one who helps in the time of need. He says, I've given you the ministry of, of reconciliation. I've now given this message to you. He's the one who gives. He's the one who's merciful and merciful lends. And his children, his descendants are blessed, the Bible says. Your children are blessed. Your grandchildren are blessed. I declare it over you today. You are blessed today. 
You're blessed coming in and you're blessed going out. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the country. You're the head. You're not the tail. You are, you are, you are first and not the last. You are all these things that Laura Jackson reminded us of on, on Mother's Day. That is who you are. That is the promise for you. That is the promise for your children, for the descendants to come. Would you stand with me today across this room? It seems like in every part of God's word, From the Old Testament, through the mighty Gospels, through the Epistles, all throughout from Genesis to Revelations, we hear this theme. We hear this this sequence of things that happens through instruction. If it's instruction in, in a battle for Jehoshaphat, if it's instruction from Jesus to that one who's dealing with an issue in their lives or in the middle of a storm, if it's, if it's instruction that the Apostle Paul is giving in Philippians to the followers of Christ, there seems to be this sequence that falls. And I wish that we could just grab a hold of this today. The first thing it's always spoken of, the first thing it's spoken to is fear. Fear not. Fear not. And when we're, when we're told to fear not, you know what that means is? That means that you're fixing to enter into a situation where you're going to be tempted to fear. Fear not doesn't mean, oh, everything's good, everything's fine. Now you're fixing to be skipping through tulips now. No. Fear not means, guess what? You're fixing to encounter something where you're going to, have to, you're, you're going to be tempted to be scared. You're going to be scared. You're going to, be, you're going to have fear, fear, scared up in your life. Fear not. The second thing is trust. Speaks of Speaks of the spirit of fear and how powerful it is and how it will paralyze us, how it will hold us back. Then he says, trust. And I'm going to tell you, you can't do it out of sequence. You can't trust in the Lord and have fear because the two don't cohabitate. Fear and the presence of God cannot cohabit. They can't work together. I can't listen to the voice of fear and the voice of God. Fear will, fear will sniff it out every time. But if I will speak to the spirit of fear and say, you're not welcome here, you're not welcome in my mind, you're not welcome in my heart, you're not welcome in my home, you're not welcome in my family, you're not welcome in my marriage, you're not welcome in my children, fear, you've got to go. God's not giving me a spirit of fear. He's giving me power, love, and a sound mind. That's what I'm going to walk in. And I deal with the spirit of fear, and fear leaves. I tell you, it has to leave, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Fear can't reside there. All we have to do is speak to it. All we have to do is declare God's word over it. Fear has to go, so fear not and then trust. Because when I get fear out of the way, now I've got an open heart. Now I've got capacity to trust. God, I trust you. So fear not, trust, and then surrender. My thoughts, my ways, my ideas, my dreams, my hopes, all of my life, all of who I am, the plans I have for my future, the the things I want for my children. Many of us are trying to do, we're trying to live our children's lives for them. we got to surrender that to God too. Surrender it all. And then rest. Rest. And the Bible said in Psalm 37, rest and wait patiently upon him. Those that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah said, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Let me tell you something, this waiting that he's talking about here, This is not like sitting in a doctor's office for 30 minutes waiting for, you know, impatiently waiting. This waiting is just saying, God, I'm anticipating. But that waiting there is just, God, I'm expecting. I know that something's about to happen, so I'm going to rest in you, and I'm just expecting you. I'm anticipating that you're going to show up in my life. Fear, trust, surrender, rest. 
And then the final step, we saw it in Jehoshaphat. We saw it as, 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 as uh, Paul instructed us about the whole armor of God. Then watch. Watch and see what only he can do in our lives. Watch, open your eyes and see the salvation of the Lord. Because when we get rid of fear, when we eliminate fear out of our lives and we trust God and we surrender all our ways to him and we rest in his presence and wait on him, then we will see the miraculous happen. We'll see the impossible become possible in all of our lives. I want us to sing before we leave today, but before we do, I I want you just to place your hand on your chest today, right where you stand, wherever you are today. And can we just surrender afresh and anew today? Can we make right where you stand the altar of your life? If you want to come and kneel at this altar area, you're welcome to. The altars are always open. But maybe right now you just want to stay right where you're at and let God do a work in all of our lives. God, I surrender all to you. We surrender all to you today, God. Have your way in our lives. God, today, if there be that one in this house that has walked in here with with any part of fear operating in their life, fear of worry of tomorrow, stress and anxiety of the day, worry and fear for their children or grandchildren, maybe even that, maybe even that condemnation and shame that we carry from our past that grips us and it ultimately holds us back and causes us to live in fear. God, today I pray for deliverance. I pray, God, that as they begin to speak to that thing, God, that it will have to go in Christ's name. That, Lord, fear in your spirit will not coexist, but that fear has to leave. And, Lord, that you will begin to take control. And today, God, we say from our hearts, we trust you. We trust you as Lord of all. Lord of all in every area of our lives, we trust you. Above all, Lord, we trust you. And God, we surrender all of our ways to you. Every one of our hopes and dreams and desires, we give it all to you today. God, we know that, Lord, that your plan will be manifested in our lives when we just surrender everything to you and rest, rest in you. And Lord, I'm thankful for the promise. I'm thankful for the hope that we have. God, that you, Lord God, will fight our battles for us. That you will go before us, God. That you will defeat our enemies, God. And that we will see the salvation of God in our lives. And we're so thankful for that hope and that promise. God, I just declare over every person in this room, shame off them. May your word become so clear and so loud and booming in their lives today. Shame off you and see the salvation of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's sing together this morning before we go home. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful 
today, may we remind ourselves this entire week that we are not alone, but he is with us. And he will guide our steps. He will direct our ways. And the Holy Spirit of God in that cloud that was represented in the Old Testament will cover us and keep us and protect us. For all of these things, we give the Lord our praise. C.C. and Jackie, as you return to Houston, M.D. Anderson tomorrow, you go not only in the covering and the protection and the blessings of the Lord, but you go in the prayers, the covering that this church provides for you. In all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.